0: so much, oh
1: I'm Mark Middleton, along with Bill Schaefer. Welcome back to another edition of Growing Boulder, where we prove each and every week that it's never too late to create the life that you want. On today's show, she is known worldwide as the mother of gourmet raw cuisine and the first Army Ranger to ever return to combat after losing a leg in combat. He's a veteran of 12 tours with three purple hearts, a true American hero. Wow,
2: and also we're going to hear from the grandmother who tried out for the Dallas Cowboys, the little girl who raised nearly $1 million to try to free child slaves, and the man who left a successful advertising career and became a rock star in his 50s. This is Growing Bolder. You know, one of the challenges of being ahead of your time is it takes a while for the rest of the world to catch up. And appreciate what you're doing. Sherry Soria is one of those visionary individuals who discovered her passion. And not only did she stick with it, but she was able to develop it in an entirely new industry.
1: Yeah, she's an entrepreneur, a renowned chef, the founder and director of the Living Light Culinary Arts Institute, which is the world's premier organic raw vegan chef training school. She's also the author of three books, including her latest, Raw Food for Dummies. Let's welcome the mother of gourmet raw cuisine sherry soria hi sherry hi boy you have uh, you have been a busy girl haven't you
3: well yes but you know i always say if you i would not be able to do all that i do if i wasn't eating a diet high in raw food
1: well you know let's start right there because is it easier for us to ask you what a raw vegan eats or what a raw vegan doesn't eat
3: Well, let's start with what we do eat because clearly that leaves, uh, that leaves Out a lot of foods that we don't want to include in our diet. Um, The more fresh, ripe, raw, organic foods we eat, the less room there is for all those empty calorie foods. So, yeah, we eat a variety of wonderful, nutrient-rich, raw plant foods. I say plant foods because typically a raw diet doesn't include animal products. Animal products don't contain phytonutrients, which are high in antioxidants, and um, all of those wonderful nutrients that keep us healthy and young um, and, and our bodies well-fueled. If we eat this way, then we're less likely to eat those foods that don't have any fuel to keep our bodies young and healthy and, and vital.
2: You know it seems sherry that you get two kinds of people the 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 one that are given some kind of a diagnosis and it shocks them into to understanding what the the raw vegan diet is all about and the other are 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 just people who understand it and we all agree with you, but you know every single household in this country's got one of those big things that gets real hot to cook stuff on top it's a mm. tough sell to make people make that transition, isn't it?
3: Well, you know, you you don't have to eat only raw food. You just have to make good choices about all the food that you eat. So if the majority of your food is fresh and raw, so that means you're including some good fruit smoothies with greens in there and some green juices and some salads. Then you can eat some well-chosen steamed cooked foods like steamed grains like quinoa and a good brown rice, whole grain rice. Uh, you can include some steamed root vegetables like sweet potatoes and, and even some lightly steamed vegetables. And they're just packed with nutrients. Uh, It doesn't have to be all or nothing, but what you want to stay away from is fried foods, all those fatty, rich foods and a lot of concentrated sugar-laden desserts and processed foods like chips that really you just end up eating so much of those salty, fatty foods because your body is hungry for nutrients and it's not finding the nutrients in there. It keeps saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. So you eat so much of it that your body becomes distorted, obese, and unhealthy, whereas when you're eating a a rich diet, rich in, in nutrients, then your body is feeling fed, and you can eat all you want, and your body will tell you when it's time to stop.
1: As we mentioned in the lead-in, Sherry, and folks, we're talking to Sherry Soria, who is is really one of the world's leading advocates and top chefs when it comes to raw, organic cuisine. Uh, you were kind of, uh, you know, uh, a lone wolf, if you will, out there ahead of the pack many, many years ago. Uh, you, you call this a raw food revolution. Is, is this something that more and more and more people are coming to? Uh, and if so, what's driving the bus? What makes people want to adopt this kind of a diet?
3: Well, any country that has embraced the raw or the um, the standard American diet, any. All over the world, people are eating the way we eat. They want to be like we do, like we are, and they just don't realize what it's going to lead to until it's too late. Um, heart disease, cancer, diabetes, high blood pressure, rheumatoid arthritis, obesity, it's rampant all over the world. People come to Living Light Culinary Institute uh, from 55 different countries, and it is because it. It's it's just a crisis, a worldwide health crisis, and people want to get back to living a more natural lifestyle that will support good health and well-being. And it and it doesn't have to be boring. Um our purpose with Living Light is to teach people how to make it delicious cuz we know if it's not tasty, people just won't eat it. They'd rather die than eat food they don't like. And so our goal is to make it tasty.
2: So who comes to the Living Light Culinary Arts Institute? Is this for like people that are in the profession that that work professionally as chefs or can anybody come and and how old are most of the people that you get?
3: Well, a wide variety of people come to the school, and I would say at least half of them come just because they want to support good health within for themselves and their families they want to make healthy living delicious that's our that's our goal there um, and the other half want to have a life Style and, uh, and, and a living, make a living at doing what supports their health. And so, yes, some of them do come because they want to become chefs or they want to open a business uh, that, that will support their own lifestyle. And many of them write books and blogs and, and that sort of thing. But about half of them, I would say, come just because they're recreational chefs or uh, home, sh- home cooks that want to make healthy foods for themselves and their families.
1: We hear a lot, of Sherry, about, uh, you know, how much energy uh, eating a raw diet gives you. Is is that really true? Because I think most people as they age, you know, we tend to think, man, I just have less and less energy every year. Uh, can, Can we overcome that by eating raw food? Oh, we absolutely can.
3: And in fact, it's not just adults that feel that way. Children these days have less energy. We have a a lot of young people now who have health problems that are coming to our school to learn how to eat properly. Um, In fact, they say that people are getting diseases 20 years younger than they used to. So children are getting diseases that used to be reserved for adults. And And research shows that this coming generation will be the first one that will not outlive its parents. So The idea of every generation living longer is is coming to an end because we're eating foods that do not support our health. We're eating um, all these foods that just don't, they have a lot of calories, but they don't have nutrition. You know, we give our cars better fuel than we give our bodies. We wouldn't think of giving our our high-performance car inferior fuel, but we do that to ourselves. So how can we possibly be high-performance?
2: And people say all the time, too, Sherry, don't they, that you should listen to your body and, and read the signs that your body gives you. But that kind of confuses me because I'm waiting for a sign and I'm not seeing it.
3: Well, and the problem is is that addiction uh, speaks to the body, too. So people start to become addicted to some of these salty, fatty foods, and they think that's what their body is asking for. So you do have to, uh, in the beginning, just replace some of those foods with with Good, raw plant food so that you start to understand how, it, how a healthy body feels, how it feels to wake up feeling really great and wanting to get started with the day instead of fe- waking up groggy, you know, instead of having a lull in the afternoon, feeling like you're ready for more in the afternoon. Uh, and then you notice when you eat something that doesn't support your health that you feel cloudy and, and, and you don't have that same energy that drives you.
1: Folks, we're talking with Sherry Soria, who's written a book called Raw Food for Dummies. And Sherry is the one who teaches the world's greatest gourmet vegan chefs how to cook for these high-end restaurants. And now she's sharing her knowledge with with all of us dummies, and we greatly appreciate that. Sherry, here's one of the things that that, that frustrates me. I always want to try to eat better and better and more plant-based. But you read so much about GMOs. You read so much about uh, all of the pesticides. Is raw, by definition, organic? And if you eat the wrong kind of raw foods, can you actually— Hurt yourself.
3: Well, you can hurt yourself with with uh, overeating any kind of food, uh, um, especially if it's high in fats. Whether it's cold cold pressed olive oil or 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 fried food, although fried food is going to be much worse uh, because of the high the uh, free radicals that it causes that attacks your cells, and that's a whole another health talk, but um, definitely uh, the majority of people who eat a high raw diet, vegan diet, uh, go for organic because their purpose in eating that way is to achieve the greatest health. Now, there are some foods that you don't have to necessarily buy organically grown, like avocados, because they're low pesticide crops. So if you know what foods you have to eat organic, like strawberries, for example, then you can put your organic dollars in the right produce and uh, there's a a website called ewg.org that can help you to know that but yes mostly most of us will buy organic whenever possible
2: so just to help uh, some of us get started who want to but really don't know what to do what should we have for dinner tonight
3: well, the best thing to do is to always add a big raw salad. Make sure that you have something green with every meal. Put greens in your morning smoothie, have a big salad at lunch, have a big salad with dinner, and then make sure that the rest of the food that you're eating is just well-chosen so it's not deep-fried, um, empty calories. Instead, it's some good plant-based foods, whether it's cooked or raw. That You know, you can keep it simple. It doesn't have to be complicated.
1: So when you say plant-based, uh, probably a stupid question, but if I want to eat a piece of uh, raw tuna, a high-quality raw tuna, that, that doesn't count.
3: Well, plant-based, that's right. Um, fish is not plant-based. But, um, you know, it, I wouldn't say that you should never do that. I just, I'm just saying that the best thing to do is to stay with a high-raw plant-based diet, so more, far more plants than anything else. And if you're going to eat meat, um, just eat smaller amounts.
1: Well, keep on doing what you're doing, uh, Sherry, because we certainly need a voice like yours out there. Folks, she is a renowned chef, the founder and director of the Living Light Culinary Arts Institute, and, and, and the author of a new book, Raw Food for Dummies, which you sh- certainly should take a look at. Thanks, Sherry. Coming up next, have you ever been transformed by simply looking at a single image? Well, you'll meet the 8-year-old girl who was and decided
2: to make a stand. This is Growing Boulder.
1: Support for
3: Growing Boulder provided by...
2: The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com Check out Growing Boulder TV, airing on public television stations nationwide. Visit GrowingBolder.com slash TV for program listings and where to watch. Hey, Bill Schaefer here with Mark Middleton on Growing Boulder. If you ever think that you're only one person, and no matter what you'd like to do, one person can't really make a difference, well, you won't think that way anymore after meeting Vivian Harr.
1: It was a moment that changed her life and ultimately that of many others. Eight-year-old Vivian Harr picked up a book on slavery and was mesmerized by a photo of two young boys in Nepal forced every day to carry heavy slabs of granite on their backs young slaves holding hands with no hope for a better future. Vivian was haunted by what she saw and wondered how a single second grader might help.
4: Gandhi was one person, Martin Luther King was one person, Mother Teresa was one person, why can't you be one person who helps?
1: Vivian talked her parents into setting up a lemonade stand near their home and pledged to open the stand every day, rain or shine, until she raised one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to free five hundred slaves. Every morning, with the help of her mother, she made lemonade by hand using all organic, fair trade lemons, sweetened with agave nectar. Initially, she charged two dollars a glass, and then decided to simply ask people to give what's in their heart. Within seven months, she had $150,000, donating it all to Not for Sale, an international nonprofit that battles human trafficking.
0: When we asked Vivian okay, you met your goal. What are you going to do now? She said, are there still people that need to be freed? And we said, yes, sweetheart, there are. And she said, I want to keep going.
1: And she has yet to slow down, opening her now mobile stand 315 straight days and counting. It's tough running a business. It's tough running a lemonade stand. Are there any days when you wake up and you think, you know what, I just don't want to go down there and do it?
0: Yes. There are, but I just think of the slaves and how much they have to work, and I just go down. I just do it. Wow,
1: While Vivian works her stand, her dad works the world. A successful social media and digital marketing expert, Eric Haar knows how to capture attention. As Vivian's Street grew to over 300 consecutive days, the money raised by her little lemonade stand grew to over $800,000. Make that eight hundred and one thousand.
3: We have a big surprise for you, okay. on behalf of the Double DoubleTree and all these wonderful people that you spent time with yesterday.
0: We want to present to you for all the work that you're doing. Oh my gosh! thank dollars so from the Tree. Thank you. <laughs> I got Whoa, oh a thousand dollars. Whoa! A thousand dollars! Oh my
5: gosh!
6: Wow! This promise that one person can change the world has been a hollow one up until now that a nine-year-old can raise almost a million dollars and start a global movement means that any one of us anywhere regardless of where we live who we are how old we are can actually change the world now these word-of-mouth channels of social media allow that to happen
1: Vivian says she'll go at least 365 straight days before taking a break, but even this philanthropic phenom can't go forever.
0: So we've decided to bottle her lemonade, bottle the movement, and start a lemonade business that has a foundation that gives and gives and gives forever.
1: The bottles are already available through her new website and will soon be in grocery stores nationwide. Vivian recently became the youngest speaker at a global forum on slavery, and she's now being followed coast to coast by a documentary crew, producing a film that will debut at Sundance, helping spread her message to children worldwide.
0: I want them to know that everyone can make a difference, and I always say compassion is not compassion without action. So, yeah, everyone can make a difference. It is inspired children across the world to make a stand for whatever they believe in.
6: The movement has grown to a point where I believe we're looking at the beginning of the end of child slavery, led by a child.
1: Less than one year ago, an eight-year-old saw a single photo that inspired her to take action. She began where she was, using what she had, doing what she could. What is the takeaway here? What's the message? What do you want people to to, to understand when they take a sip of this lemonade?
6: I'm going to take a little bit of your title and say grow bolder. Be bold. Make a stand. Um, You really can make a difference. You really can change the world now and it can come from anyone, anywhere. You never know where that lightning is going to strike.
1: How bold are the horrors? They've only just begun.
6: I'm quitting my job. I'm leaving my job. I'm burning the boats in the harbor behind me Uh and I am going to help her run this company and it's scary and I don't know what to expect but I know it's the right thing.
1: It is, as Vivian likes to say, not a business, but a giveness, and she's not really selling lemonade. They give that away. What she's selling is hope in a bottle, the sweet taste of freedom. This is a
0: lemon gem. Collect 150 of these, and you have actually freed a child's life. Please make a stand and order today.
1: Boy, isn't she amazing? And you know, Bill, one of the most beautiful things about youth is the compassion that most kids have for others. And they don't think of a million reasons why they can't help, why something can't be done. They only know that something should be done, and they're fearless about jumping in and giving it a shot.
2: I get the feeling this is far from the last time we'll hear about Vivian and her new company. And in the meantime, if you want to learn more about her, we've got a link to her site on growingbolder.com.
1: You know, when Vivian Hart thought about making a difference, that little voice inside her head, you know, the little voice that we all have, told her she could do it, actually encouraged her to do it, so here's the question: What does your little voice tell you? You know this self talk the near constant chattering uh, that we do with ourselves about ourselves is a universal human experience it's our own running commentary on our lives. We all do it, and how we do it can have a huge impact on how we actually live. You
2: do that too, oh man, I never stopped. I thought I was the only one there for a <laughs> while that we were staring at me so often but here's an important question to ask about your self-talk. If you had a friend who spoke to you in the same way that you sometimes speak to yourself, how long would you let that person be your friend? Now, the answer for most of us is not very long because we would never allow our friends to talk to us the way we talk to ourselves And most of us are very critical about what we do. We're probably our toughest critics and the way we do things, about what we say and what we don't say. And even when you're talking to yourself, it can be damaging. It can keep us from taking the right kind of chances, from trying new things, and from making new friends. Mark, you see where I'm going? Oh,
1: man, and you're right on track, Bill, because negative self-talk Calling yourself unflattering names can, in fact, make you unhappy. It can make you unhealthy, and it can keep you from achieving your dreams. The point is this, folks. Your self-talk should be like a great coach, someone that is encouraging and supportive, somebody that expects your best and not your worst. So be a friend to yourself. Pay attention to your self-talk, and if it's not positive, change it because it's sabotaging you in every area of your life. As Henry Ford first said, whether you think you can or think you can't, You're right. Our minds are so powerful, so make yours an ally and
2: not a
0: foe.
2: Coming up next, is it ever too late to become a rock star? Not if you're growing bolder.
3: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
2: The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location, offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at GrowingBolder.com. This time I'll take
0: a change. Think smart. Be a little stronger. This time I'll make it land.
2: You think everybody should be a little bolder? Hi, everybody. Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton back with you on the Growing Bolder radio show. And usually you hear Roger McGuinn singing us back from the breaks. This time, someone who watched Roger McGuinn and was actually inspired by him. In fact, He was raised in Greenwich Village during that incredible time in music history. He was a kid when McGuinn and Bob Dylan and Richie Havens were the guys who were singing in the village.
1: Yeah, it's a great story. He fell in love with music, but as often happens, life kind of pushed him in another direction. But proving that it's never too late, he has returned to his first love, and he's just released his first commercial album at the age of... 63 all original tunes that he wrote and sings let's welcome rock star Bill Carreri hey Bill how are you hi guys how are you man we're doing great we, we absolutely love your story but before we get to what led you back to your first love tell us what took you away from it so many years ago how did you not get sucked into the village scene in the 60s
5: well um, there's a number of factors uh, one being uh, my my wife at the time um, I had a very promising advertising career, and uh, she was a little nervous about the fact that uh, I would be um, giving up a very promising career for a you know an industry that 's somewhat speculative and risk oriented and um, i I really felt that uh, I, I wanted to do it because I was young enough and I had enough experience in my field that if i i didn't if i weren 't successful you know I could very easily explain to anyone uh future employee employers that uh you know this is what I was trying to do and uh it's an opportunity that very rarely comes around and I think people would have understood that uh but my 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 wife at the time was nervous, and so I acquiesced to that and but I promised to myself that uh one day I would retire early enough to get back into the music scene and I actually would have done it uh, about ten, twelve years earlier, but I got sidetracked uh, teaching remedial reading to underprivileged minority students here in New York at uh, john jay college and uh, But then finally, I decided that you know time, the clock was ticking, and there weren 't very very many opportunities left and so I decided to jump back one hundred percent. And I've not looked back since.
2: So, Bill, w- wouldn't you have been satisfied though? Because you know, so many people do what you did. You know, here's your opportunity in advertising to actually build your life. Uh, Couldn't you just gone out and like bought your, you know, bought a Pro Tools software program and been happy just kind of piddling in the back room?
5: Well, um, I, I've led a very charmed life, and I have to admit, I can't complain. If uh, if I had never gone back into music, I'd have a lot of stories to tell my grandchildren. But and I I did have uh, I've always had a recording studio and I've always recorded on the side and and but it's not the same thing. Uh, one of the things that always um was in the back of my mind as was that even though I had a very successful career in advertising was I a legitimate candidate for the music industry especially as a, as a singer-songwriter and that really was the life question that I was trying to answer and um And so fortunately, I, I met a great group of musicians and um, people who have played with the likes of McGuinn and Dylan and Johnny Cash and Madonna and Cher and I mean, you name it, these guys have played with him, uh, and uh, they helped me with my, my with my album, and uh, basically, I walked away feeling very much um, affirmed as a writer, and they were the ones who encouraged me to to jump back into this and and here I am.
1: Uh, and his name, folks, if you missed it, is Bill Carreri. His debut album at the age of 63 is titled Long Time Gone. Interesting mix of classic rock, blues, and pop. Uh, Bill, you can write some catchy tunes. These are hooky little numbers.
5: Thank you. I, you know, it's it, 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 it's gotten that kind of um, uh, reviews by everyday people and a couple of critics as well. In fact, uh, I just found out on Friday of last week that um, it's Long Time Gone is now number 40 on uh, Reverb Nation's New York rock genre charts. So wow. uh, three weeks ago, we were at 529, and then we just put it on the charts, and it boomed up to 40. So, uh,
1: <laughs> 40, with, 40 with a bullet. Let's take a quick lo- listen, if we can, to a bit of the first track off your album. It's called Brother.
5: Something strange
2: I wish I could do my Casey Kasem imitation. That was the album Long Time Gone from Bill Carreri. Hey, that's pretty cool, isn't it, that's Bill?
5: That's not bad. Uh, yeah, that's
2: not bad. And, and you mentioned before that you, you had some really interesting people work with you on that record, some big artists, uh, actually yeah. some Grammy winners.
5: Yeah, um, my co- one of my co-producers, uh, Sammy Merendino, uh, is a Grammy Award winner. He, uh, he is Cindy Lauper's long-term drummer, in fact. Uh, he's working with uh, Cindy now on Kinky Boots on Broadway. In fact, he's performing every night in the in the orchestra. Uh, Sammy has won uh, a Grammy with uh, with Cindy, and has also performed with people like Foreigner and uh, and the like. So he's he's really accomplished. And then um, another the other Grammy Award winner. Is uh, David Mansfield. David uh, was Bob Dylan's fiddle player during the Rolling Thunder Review days, and he's won. He won a um, a Grammy with uh, with uh, Dylan, I believe, on Hard Rain. And the uh, second Grammy he won was he was one of the founding members of um, Bruce Hornsby and the Range, and I believe he won a Grammy for uh, for what it's worth. Um, Not for what it's worth, excuse me. The way it is. The way it is. There you go. That's it. Yeah, he, so he's won two Grammys, and the other players in the set, um, John Putnam has played with everybody from Madonna and Cher uh, to uh, to uh, Cindy Lauper. Uh, Chris Palmaro uh, has played with Aretha Franklin, thing. Billy Joel. He also was in the uh, Saturday Night Live band for about four years. Um, so, I mean, these are... and. Pretty accomplished musicians. And then uh, Roger Fife, my bass player and also my co producer, uh, has played with uh, pretty much the same group of people. And so we've, uh, I was very, very fortunate to, to land this kind of talent. Well, uh, backing me up in the studio.
1: It is an amazing debut album. And, of course, Bill, we know you want to sell some albums, and we support that. But uh, before you leave, we want you to sell a little hope for us here, if you will. Uh, be, be, because, you know, people can well, learn. You know, if
5: I, if I could interrupt for a second, selling the music to me is secondary. You know, if I had the wherewithal, I'd give it all away, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I'm more interested in telling my story and letting people know that you know, at this stage in their lives, they don't have to roll over and play dead. If you know
1: what I mean. Uh, amen. That's exactly what I was going for. There is a there is a moral to your story that's bigger than the music itself, isn't it? Mm-hmm. His name is Bill Carreri. His album is called Long Time Gone, and you can learn more about it and about him. Interesting story at billcarreri dot com. That's C U R R. E-R I Bill, Bill, thanks so much for your time. Good luck with your album, and I think uh, the more people listen to it, the more they're gonna want to hear it. There
0: was a time. The world was at my fingers.
1: Coming up next, you want a true American hero? You won't be disappointed in Joe Kapachsky. This is Growing Bolder. I was.
2: Support for Growing Boulder provided by Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures. Bill Schaefer and Mark Middleton here with Growing Bolder. Our next guest is an amazing person, the first and only amputee in Army Ranger's history to return to combat. Not just once, he served nine tours in the Middle East, and last year he became the first enlisted soldier ever to receive the No Greater Sacrifice Freedom Award given to individuals who epitomize selfless service to the nation.
1: Yeah, all told, he's served 10 tours in Iraq and Afghanistan, five tours while wearing a prosthesis that replaced his right leg below the knee. He's received three Purple Hearts, an Army Commendation Medal with a V for valor, and a Bronze Star. Since losing his leg, he's also completed three triathlons and finished the New York City Marathon twice. Uh, when not deployed to war zones, he often visits wounded soldiers in hospitals. Welcome, a true American hero, Joe. Hey, Joe, how are you?
4: I'm doing well. Yourself?
1: Uh, we're doing great. Can we call you Cap? Sounds good. Hey, I appreciate that. First of all, thanks for your service and your sacrifice. Tell us how you lost your leg.
4: Uh, so uh, and, October of 2005, I found myself on uh, my fifth combat rotation in northern Iraq, Um, It was actually a couple days before we were coming back stateside, and, you know, a a mission came down the pipeline like any other day. We're going to go out, and we're going to kill or capture a high-value target. And en route to the objective, uh, we were moving underneath of an overpass, and we were ambushed from above, and we started to receive some small arms fire. And they started to lob some grenades down, and one of the grenades made it through the hatch in my vehicle um, and went off next to
2: myself and my platoon leader at the time. So, so the thing, Joe, is I think most of us in our minds we think, "Wow, okay, that went off, and there goes his leg. End of story." But I mean, how many surgery? Yeah, like dozens of surgeries on your leg.
4: I did. Uh, you know, I, I was pretty beat up, and but you know, the military doctors took phenomenal care of me. You know, and they they didn't want me to lose my leg, and I didn't want to lose my leg. So, you know, we had about forty surgeries trying to save it, and, and ultimately. Uh, You know, we gave it, you know, every try that we had, and you know, a valiant effort, but at the end of the day I was in, I had chronic pain, I had very limited range of motion, so for me being a a young kid that liked to be very active for my quality of life, the, the best chance that I had to be able to live that quality of life that I wanted was to have it amputated below the knee.
1: It really is an amazing story. And it is, folks, just that a, tr- a true story in the subject of his book, which is called Back in the Fight uh, by Sergeant First Class Joe Kapachevsky. Uh, you know, Joe, how hard was it? You know, we mentioned uh, in, in the intro that you're the first Army Ranger ever to be allowed to go back to combat. I'm guessing most would not want to. But uh, what did you have to do to convince the Army that, that, that you were capable of returning to the front lines?
4: it was really convincing the ranger regiment that i'd be able to serve Uh, in a leadership role and within the ranger regiment we have a set of standards that everybody has to meet no matter what job they're doing or what their specialty or or MOS is so they told me I had to meet the ranger standard which consists of uh, conducting army physical fitness test scoring eighty percent and push-ups sit-ups and a two mile run and then in the ranger regiment we also do pull-ups we also conduct a five mile run in under forty minutes and we do a twelve mile road march with about forty five pounds of kit in under three hours. Uh and once I was able to complete those I had to show that I could do, you know, some of the stuff that we do in combat, which is fast roping out of helicopters, you know, and so I used that for uh, for combat equipment. We usually wear about sixty five pounds and you know, there's a little bit of a learning curve and things that you have to adjust to and we wear leather gloves when we're fast roping so we don't burn our hands and I don't get any friction with my feet. Um, because of my prosthetics. So the first time I went down the rope, my hands were on fire. Um, So now I just wear two sets of gloves and, uh, you know, you adapt and overcome. And after I did that, uh, I did prove to him that I could jump out of a a perfectly good airplane and do airborne operations. So I did a couple uh, airborne jumps uh, with combat equipment and uh, then it was sort of getting the word. You know, uh, there was a little bit of hesitation uh, with some of the higher-ups within the Ranger regiment, but once there were people that supported me in certain leadership positions, then I was able to go back and be a, a Ranger squad leader and came out uh, on the on the E7 list and um, got to go back a few more times as a platoon sergeant.
2: And, you know, Joe, for a lot of people it would have been enough to just have as a goal getting back, you know, getting back to your unit, but not you. I mean, you really wanted to make a difference there. I hope they make your book into a movie someday, but it's, it's called Back in the Fight, and it, there are some incredible stories there. You talk about what happened when you volunteered to take out Taliban snipers who had ambushed your platoon. I think it was in the pitch darkness on an Afghani mountain. I mean, you were totally back in the fight.
4: Absolutely, and I, I mean that's really a testament to the guys that I work with. You know, I mean we're we're all here for for one purpose, and everyone that's here volunteers to be in the Ranger Regiment. You know, they volunteer to become come into the Army, they volunteer to go to airborne school, then they volunteer to go through a selection process to try to get here. So it, everyone is sort of like-minded individuals, and we all have a have a one purpose in mind, and that's to you know kill and capture uh, enemies of our nation.
1: So what happened that night that Bill just mentioned? Uh, what, what did you do? What 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 was happening?
4: It was uh, you know, I mean, we were up in uh the the KG pass in uh, in Afghanistan. It's pretty arduous terrain and as we were moving into a into an objective area, uh looking for for a training camp uh, as we started to move up a ridge line, uh the first squad made contact, and they did an unbelievable job reacting to contact and uh, pushing through it and, and eliminating the threat. And there were a couple guys that were uh, sort of maneuvering uh, on us, and I took a couple guys, and we started to move down, um, you know, a fairly steep hillside. And uh, I sort of hit some rock shale and started to slip and ended up, you know, very close to one of them. And, you know, so we pushed through and eliminated the threat, and then we tried to do uh, a little break to break of contact and i I sort of got caught up in some rocks and my prosthetic came off and started to slide down the hill and it uh it all worked out though you know i mean it's uh one of those things when you uh do very difficult training and realistic training then you know you don't really uh sort of crumble under the pressure you know you always know how to sort of react and, and overcome
2: Joe, your stories are, are spellbinding probably to everybody except your two kids and your wife who uh, you know wish you were always home safe and sound or may have wanted you to stay. Uh what what's your life like now?
4: Uh right right now I, I returned last year from my last uh, combat deployment as a platoon sergeant and I, I ran out to the Center for Intrepid at uh Brook Army Medical Center and had a surgery on my residual limb. I, I still have some shrapnel in there and I had some that was starting to move around and beat me up a little bit. So I ran out there, had a surgery uh and i took an instructor job within the ranger regiment and uh we uh, run the Ranger Assessment and Selection Program, too, and we assess all the officers and senior NCOs trying to serve within the Ranger Regiment. So I get a bunch of officers and senior non-commissioned officers and sort of get to beat them up and run them through the ringer for three weeks at a time.
1: Hey, Joe, we're we're out of time. We've got 15 seconds, but I want to note uh, that you voluntarily signed up for the Army straight out of high school before nine eleven. In 10 seconds, tell us what uh, uh, serving this country means to you
4: it really means everything uh it's 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 a great profession i work with a fabulous uh group of guys who enjoy what they do um and you know it's it's very very uh i'm very proud to wear a uniform
1: He is a true American hero, folks, who, despite being wounded in combat many times and losing his right leg, continues to get back into the fight, which is the name of his book. Back in the Fight by Sergeant First Class Joe Kapachewski. Thanks, Cap. Coming up next, the grandmother who nearly danced her way into becoming a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader.
2: That is Growing Boulder. Subscribe to Growing Boulder magazine now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com/slash-subscribe. Miss an episode of Growing Boulder Radio? Subscribe to our podcast and get it on your mobile device. Details at slash podcasts. You're listening to Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and our next guest really is our kind of gal, because she is attacking life after the age of 50. It was after 50 that she got her master's degree, after 50 that she became an athlete, an author, and an actor.
1: Yeah, and you got to figure, Bill, she's not done yet. What she is most well-known for, though, is a role she actually did not get, because at the age of 55, this grandmother of two tried out for the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, maybe the top professional cheerleading team in the world. Let's find out more as we welcome Sharon Simmons. Hey, Sharon.
7: How are you? Uh,
1: we're doing great. How are you doing today? How's I'm li- doing
7: wonderful. How's
1: life in the Lone Star State?
7: It's actually it's terrific.
1: Uh, I bet it is. So before we get to the Dallas Cowboys cheerleaders, let's go back a few years because I read somewhere where you say you went through a complete transformation when you hit 49 how so what happened
7: well i'd always worked out and been fairly active Uh, and then one one day it was actually in a kickbox class i had an idea after watching the instructor she physically began to change so when i inquired what she was doing she told me about competing in fitness and i had no idea what that was so she explained it and I had a defining moment right then and there to try that. And so it took about a year of training in order to be able to complete that.
1: And have you always been that type of personality, Sharon? Because, you know, a lot of us have a defining moment, if you will, you know, every other day, you know, several times a day. You know, we all want to want to be something, but few of us want it bad enough to actually do it. What, what was it about that that made you decide to do it?
7: You know, I think after going through all the years I did as as a single mom, and the single moms out there know what I'm talking about. uh, There's so many different things that you have to kind of put on the back burner because you have priorities. Certainly, your children come first. And so, after uh, a lot of years of of, you know thinking of other things that were obviously more important, you begin to look at yourself as you get a little bit older, and those things uh, aren't you know there to to hold you back. Let's say monetarily and, and time wise. And so you begin to make decisions, at least I do, when I want to do something, even if I know it's going to be difficult, I do it.
2: Now, Sharon, we love your story, and I totally get the going for the master's degree after 50, and I get the becoming an athlete, an author, and an actor. But boy, you know, people hate to do something when they think they might not Succeed at it, yet you had no fear. You decided, I don't care how old I am, I'm trying out for the Dallas Cowboys cheerleading squad. Where in the world did that come from?
7: You know, not making the squad never once entered my mind. Um, I had always wanted to try out, uh, and in fact, I came real close in my 20s and just didn't quite even make it to the application process, not knowing what to do. But um, it, certainly in my 50s, at the age that I was at 55, I knew what to do. I mean, I had to research it, but it never entered my mind that, hey, you might not be the oldest cheerleader in the world. That never entered my mind. What was at the forefront most important for me was to simply go through the process. It was the journey, experiencing that audition process and the training process with the young girls.
2: But but you must have had friends that said, oh my God, Sharon's not really going to do this, is she?
7: Oh, I did. (laughs) Those friends and some not friends, uh, I, I caught a lot of uh, interesting comments, needless to say. And then I, I did also had some supporters, too.
1: You know, that really is, uh, is unfortunate. It's something we hear all the time, Sharon, that, you know, when you decide to do something that maybe someone else uh, wouldn't try themselves, they do their best to discourage you. So it does become important, doesn't it, to surround yourself with people that will, you know, if not really encourage, kind of support your dream.
7: I agree with you completely. In fact, when I made the decision to audition, um, I didn't tell people at first because I I didn't want to discourage myself. And so then I told one person and then two, and I thought, okay, this is beginning to feel a little bit more comfortable. Because even if, if I had met nothing but discouraging comments, I still would have done it. It's just it makes it more fun and easier if you have people that support you.
1: Man, we love that attitude. And we should tell folks that ultimately you did not make the squad, but you did make a lot of friends and you did make a lot of news. In fact, your story was reported on all over the world, and as folks can hear today, we're still (laughs) reporting on it. Were you surprised by that? I was
7: shocked. (laughs) That was uh, not my plan. I had no idea, and literally it happened within 24 hours.
2: You know with your with your attitude, Sharon, I'm wondering, did you take that in, in a way as sort of an insult? You're going, what do you why is it surprising that I tried out for the cheerleading squad?
7: Well you know in a way I did. Uh, it, it literally was national and even international news news overnight. and quite frankly, I didn't understand why. Uh, it kind of scared me a little bit because I, I received some interesting calls and even some stalkers, so that part was a little bit unnerving. Um, but I, I didn't re- realize, you know, I, or, or even understand why the story was so big to other people, because in my mind, I, I never thought twice about it.
2: Well, the the
1: moral of this story, as you know better than we do, because, you know, we we, we followed you a little bit and we understand who you are now and, and what you think. The moral of this story is much bigger than Sharon tries out to become a Dallas Cowboys cheerleader. The moral of the story is we should all change the way we think about aging and the possibility of life after 50. How has the experience changed the way that you think about aging and what is your message now to the rest of us?
7: I just got cold chills just hearing you say that, <laughs> it because it is so true. Um, we we shouldn't limit ourselves ever, and I'm talking about on anything, just because we're over 50 and we're grandmothers and grandfathers, et cetera, doesn't mean we need to pull up a rocking chair. Um, there's so many things still left yet for each of us to accomplish. But we have to not be afraid and step out and grab it and just go for it.
2: Sharon, how, I, how old are you now? And oh, what, I'm
7: 57.
2: And what is next on Sharon well, Simmons' list? Well, you know, list? I would
7: like to race cars. And it, it's not <laughs> only that, not only would I like to race cars, my goal is to do it before year-end. That may be that I go to the racetrack and, and purchase, you know, riding around a lap with one of the professionals. I don't know what that will entail yet but I'm going to do it, um, and I would like to do a mud run. <laughs> 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 I, I don't know what that's all about either, but I want to do that.
1: You know, this is an amazing story, and, and uh, you've come up with a list of, of, of secrets or lessons that you say can help us age well, and we don't have time to run down the whole list and talk about all of them, but, you know, what, what, what do you think are one or two of your favorites? Because you say it's not all about winning, never say never, don't hold yourself back. You know, what's a thought you can leave us with, Sharon?
7: You know, the most important thing, and I've been saying this, my goodness, for almost 10 years now, never allow anyone else to set your limitations for you, because pe- people will. You-, you know that.
1: Oh, absolutely. We-, we know they will. And you know what? we. Thank you for what you're doing because, you know, there really is this new life stage that exists now that didn't exist before where people can live 30, 40, 50 years after the age of 50 doing cool stuff, and we need more people like you out there showing us that it actually can be done. Sharon, how can people find out more about you? What's your website?
7: It is FitnessAnyAge.
1: Fitness com. Yes. And her name is Sharon Simmons. That's with uh, two Ms. Google it and you'll like what you find out. Sharon, thanks so much. All right, Mr. Schaefer, let's quickly recap today's guest if we can. Let's see an 8-year-old who raises a million dollars, a 55-year-old cheerleader, a 63-year-old rock star, an American hero, and a world-famous organic raw vegan chef. Just another day at Growing Bolder. But most importantly, folks, it's more proof that it's not about age and it's never too late or too early to chase your dream or to find your purpose.
2: Please tell your friends about this program. It's empowering, uplifting, and inspirational, but... It doesn't happen on its own. You've got to put yourself out there. Try something new. Take new chances. Meet new people. And of course, we're here to help. You can find Growing Boulder not just here on the radio, but also Growing Boulder TV, growingbolder.com, Growing Boulder Magazine. And if you haven't already, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and we'll keep you up to date on all things Growing Boulder. See you next time. Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting. All rights reserved. This program was recorded live at Growing Boulders Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nanis. Director of Technology is Joshua Doolittle. Chief Audio Engineer is Mac Dula, And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.
0: Crimson flames tied through my years flowing high and mighty trapped Countless fires